You know why I'm so passionate about Music to Code By? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than four bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only three bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1330, with guest Thomas Petrichek. Recorded Friday, June 10th, 2016. Hey, we're back. It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're still at the NDC in Oslo, Norway, and uh, Thomas Petrachek is here with us. We're going to talk to him. It's going to be a fun show. This has been an amazing show. And we've as, as always, we've really yeah. been having a lot of fun with it. But uh, yeah, and we, these shows are getting spread out now. We've got some other ones interspersed. I think I think this is the last published one from NDC, isn't it? It is now, because we just added it in in the end. So. Right, yeah. But you never know with the schedule. Things get changed around all the time. Yeah, but yeah, we're doing a little time shifting here. It's a month later. All right, well, I got some good stuff for you today, so roll the music for Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? This being show 1330, you want to go to 1330.pwop.me, and that is the announcement of general availability of Azure Dev Test Labs. This was announced back in May. Wow. So it's not new anymore, but uh, still might be new to you. And they say, today we are very excited to announce the general availability of Azure Dev Test Labs, your self-service sandbox environment in Azure, to quickly create dev test environments while minimizing waste and controlling costs. We've been hearing from a lot of customers about all kinds of challenges they've been facing in their dev test environments. With the power of cloud, some problems have started being solved, such as the hardware maintenance cost. On the other hand, there are still a few problems many customers have to deal with day to day, especially... Delays in delivering environments to developers and testers introduced by the traditional environment request model, time-consuming environment configuration, production fidelity issues, the high costs associated with cloud resource management. So they've uh, they've sort of making this easy for us. They're really building a product specific to being able to uh, to test quickly and to, to be able to you know pay by the minute for it, right? Do it the inexpensive way. Yeah, exactly. So I saw this, thought it was very cool. A lot of my guys in uh, App V Next are using it now, and awesome, they love it. So thought I'd share it with you. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of Thomas's last show, which embarrassingly was March of 2013. I know what's up with so that. More than three years ago, we were talking oddly enough about F Sharp. I know it's strange, it's strange, it's the strangest thing. Odd. And I realize now, I mean, three years later, there was just a ton of great comments on here. I've actually read. Four different comments on this show as it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read one more. And what's interesting is this is a comment in response to another comment. Great. 
So uh, in, the, in the original comment, which is from a fellow named Ryan, I mentioned that I thought that F-sharp had sort of carved out a specific niche for itself. Yeah. And of course, the implication of that is it wasn't a general purpose language, mm-hmm. which we know is not true. And, uh, and Ryan was someone who jumped on that idea that this is um, a very flexible, you know, all-purpose language and all is good. And Uncle Fred... Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred. Okay. Said, I absolutely agree with F-sharp being a non-niche language. I would even say that the range of applications that F-sharp is suited for is more than those of C-sharp. Wow. Having been a programmer since the mid-80s and using lots of different languages, including 6809 and 6502 assembly, 4th, embedded C, C++, Delphi, VB.net, and C-sharp since 2004. And for the last two years, I've done a bit, and I guess it'll be five years now because it's three years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. Been doing a bit of F sharp, including building internal dev tools used by our C sharp team. Isn't that funny? Based at work. Out of all the languages mentioned above, F sharp is the most powerful and flexible by far. In all the time I've used F sharp, I've never had a null reference exception. <laughs> How could you really? Yeah, kind of impossible. It's not unusual <laughs> to get null ref exceptions to C sharp, even after a couple hours of development. What makes F sharp software so robust that it has the correct foundations, one which is immutability by default. Yeah. This is like building on bedrock of solid stone instead of sand. Exactly. Having Lambda functions and link in C sharp and VB.net has deluded many developers into thinking that these languages somehow represent the pinnacle of language design <laughs> and not see that in reality they don't really raise the level of abstraction needed to solve complex problems with a minimum of accidental complexity. F-Shark, on the other hand, truly does offer the means to tackle complexity with features that will never appear in C-Sharp and VB.net. I love the enthusiasm of the F-Sharp crowd. He's all in, man. Love it. I won't list all of the F-Sharp features that make F-Sharp so awesome, but here are three fundamentals that I really like. First, and he already First said this. First of all, this. Tomas is smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> He's got a big grin. <laughs> yeah, it's making him happy. First off, immutability by default. No null references or uninitiated var- variables to worry about. Permits lock-free and value-oriented programming. Two, pattern matching. Pattern matching? Yes. It's nice to have a compiler do the exhaustive check on all possible combinations of states for a, a given group of variables or a discriminated union. Pattern mm-hmm. matching is especially useful in making sure that corner cases are not missed. Yeah. And yeah, the pattern matching in F-sharp is it's a out. giant pile of awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and three, some types in the form of type-safe discriminated unions. Usually used in combination with pattern matching, DUs provide a flexible way to model entities that can be one of several related variations, can be weakly simulated using inheritance, and can often lead to replacing runtime checks with compile-time static verification. These are just three features among many that make programming in F-sharp a real pleasure rather than a chore, but the only way to find out is to escape from the C-sharp VBnet mindset. Oh, dun-dun-dun. Tomas is like giddy. <laughs> He's giddy. He's like, yeah! There's a fan out there, Preach man! Preach on, brother! Uh, Uncle Fred, I am not going to argue with no, you. No, not at yeah, all. That's a big old pile of awesome, and I like it a lot. So a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. Why not? They're immutable. <laughs> all right. <laughs> And they are too. They are. You try ever try to edit a tweet? Yep. No, so you can't do that. All right, let's bring on Tomas. Tomas is a longtime F sharp enthusiast, Microsoft MVP, and author of a book, Real World Functional Programming from Manning. He leads functional programming in F sharp courses in London and New York and contributed to the development of F sharp as an intern 
and contractor at Microsoft Research in Cambridge. He's currently still a PhD student at University of Cambridge, <laughs> working on context-dependent programming languages. Welcome back, Tomas. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here again. Yeah. So, you know, I thought the whole PhD thing was like a two-year, you're done, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought that as well when I started. <laughs> um, in, in the UK, it's actually not as bad as in the US. Oh, so yeah. It's supposed to take like three years or four years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they're very clever. They give you funding for three years, but you have to finish within four, four. years. Nice. nice. If you can get to, get your own food somehow, you can do one more year of it. Um, <laughs> as long as you can eat. Yeah, yeah. And given the all the other F-Sharp stuff I was doing, I took the four-year. Yeah. And then you submit it, and then uh, it gets reviewed. You get some feedback. You change it. You submit mm -hmm. another right. version. So that's where you are now? So, so you now submitted I'm no, your no thesis? longer working on it, right? But, uh, okay. I'm but you're going through the it. review process. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right. yeah. I mean, yeah. In, it, in the end, a PhD, you're, you're genuinely contributing to the science. In this case, computing science. And so, I mean, a, a group of what will ultimately be your peers is evaluating your contribution. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's exciting, man. And they actually. can give you a thumbs down if they want. Um, they can. Yeah. They if they so it's sort of. It doesn't happen very often, yeah. but you usually have to make some changes to it. Oh, They've come okay. back with um, a set of revisions. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you chose, and you chose or, to do it, too. I mean, this worked for you. Yeah, well, in, in my case, they sort of, they really liked the, the whole work and the right. idea. Mm. They didn't like some of the methods that I was, I oh, was using. So it's like, mm. oh, this is really nice, but like all this, you have to write some other proofs and stuff. Oh, okay. okay. So I did have to add some things. I actually have an implementation of my of my little language as well. Oh, which mm. I added as a as a bonus. So, <laughs> Great. so are you generating empirical data around your thesis? Is that oh no? <laughs> 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 no, there's mm. like it, uh, what I'm doing is basically theoretical programming language research. Okay, uh. and I think it's a bit weird area because we sort of pretend we are very sciencey, right? Yeah. But Programming languages, like there's a bit of science to it, but also like things like usability mm, or yeah. how it changes how Very you think about it. Concepts and a lot of psychology too. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it's like the the psychology or the philosophical aspects mm. of it. People don't really like you can't evaluate it scientifically, right. no. so it gets pushed aside. Yeah, but it I becomes, think that's it's not as not as meaningful. And I think that there's a time and place element to this, right? I mean, I think about. So much of the computing science uh, stuff I've read over the years, and we lived in these constraints of computing in the '80s for a long time. It was very restrictive, and you know we were we were memory bound and we were CPU bound and things like that. And we're just not bound that same way anymore. Like mm. I'm excited that you've got a brand new thesis that's mo represents contemporary computing science thinking because mm. I don't think there's enough of that. I think we're a little bound to to belief systems. Which really what we're coming down to. It's so they're 20, 30 years old. And yeah. yeah. Dude, the hardware has moved on. Yeah. The mm -hmm. rules are different. Yeah. And the, the motivation for what I was doing in my thesis is, is partly this sort of change in the modern ecosystem mm -hmm. where you have more and more devices where your software needs to run. And they have lots of additional features, and but power. they're all different. Right. And so, power, like the power of devices has completely changed in the last 20, 30 years too. Yeah, so if yeah. you want to like write some software that will run on your phone, run on your laptop, la run on your coffee machine, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're all running in a different context. 
Mm-hmm. And so what I was working on is basically this idea that you should you could make your context as part of your type information. Mm. And when you write some code, the types will tell you this needs access to your Facebook friends and to GPS. Mm. And then if you don't have it, you can't run your program. Right. But it doesn't like crash at runtime at some point later. Yeah. It, you know it statically. Well, and I do like this idea of provisioning capabilities and then you know, having fallback positions. Okay, I can't have access to your GPS because you don't have it, but you could give me location data another way, mm. you know, those kinds of things. All right, so the genesis of this uh, show is uh, that I was on the boat, while the I was Oslo cruise, while you were sleeping yeah. yourself uh, uh, to health, or to back to reality anyway. And uh, I was sitting in the, in the back of the boat with Tomas and Rob Connery and all the other uh, functional people. The functional mafia. And I don't mafia. know why I was with the functional people. I think it was just the best spot on the boat, and they naturally sought that out. So <laughs> they are the optimizer best. by yeah, nature. Yeah, they are optimizers by nature. Yeah. <laughs> and the JavaScript boat almost sinks. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I'm sitting there, and uh, I think Rob and uh, Rob and Tomas were talking about uh, uh, Fable, which is what we're going to talk about here, and uh, F sharp uh, to Babel to JavaScript transpiling. And uh, I thought it was fascinating. And I said, do you think there's a whole show here? And he said, yeah. And especially among the challenges that go along with such a thing. So before we even jump in, just give us the elevator pitch about what this is all about. Yeah. So so Fable is basically lets you run F-sharp as JavaScript um, and Lots of lots of things, lots of devices now run JavaScript. So right. this is kind of kind of important compilation target. Yeah. Um, and there's been sort of a longer history of F sharp to JavaScript, um, and we can talk about some of the interesting challenges and the history. Mm. Um, I think what Fable is really doing nicely is that it's very well integrated with the modern JavaScript ecosystem. Mm. Yeah. So if you're um, like if you're using other node tools, like there's a there's a thing called Webpack, and I'm not a JavaScript expert, but okay. I've heard about Webpack, which basically lets you like package all the JavaScript dependencies together and ship yeah. it nicely with your website. Like that's something you want to use with with uh, code that comes from the F sharp to JavaScript as well. Yeah. And so Fable is is very modern take on the right. F sharp to JavaScript idea. So when I think about F sharp and I think about JavaScript and the things that F sharp does that not a lot of other things do and what might be a challenge, think of type providers. How does that work? Yeah, so I think type providers, hopefully by the time people hear the show, it's actually going to be there. Really? <laughs> Currently <laughs> You're it's working implement type providers. Uh, well, so this is actually something that worked in one of the earlier projects oh. already. So we know how to do it. Nice. And the, the way most of the type providers work is that they give you this nice type that you use as a user. Mm-hmm. But like behind this nice type, there's, there's, um, the, the type providers actually erase to some runtime. Mm. So when you write, when you're using JSON type provider to call a REST API and then you do like my type dot, dot weather forecast dot temperature dot evening or yeah, something. Right, yeah. This 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 nice chain, like behind it there's really just get field string, get field string. Okay. Um, and so what you need to do when you compile this to JavaScript is just to sort of have a handle of the, era- the erased thing. So really you just need to say get field. 
See, and so so really, it's syntactic sugar, and by the time F sharp has turned that into something you know remotely uh, standard IL, I suppose that can be turned into some pretty simple JavaScript. Um, so the the way the Fable compiler actually works is that it doesn't even have to go through the IL or anything. Oh, it's, oh, uh, just reads the F sharp source. It's built on top of the F sharp compiler service, mm -hmm. which is kind of like Roslyn for F sharp. But okay. F-sharp has always been written in F-sharp. So, right. so does Fable read um, the output of the F-sharp compiler, or does it read the F-sharp source directly? So um, Fable calls the library, the compiler service library, mm -hmm. which reads the F-sharp code, parses it, type checks it, and then exposes the abstract syntax tree, the sort yes. of program representation to Fable. Yeah, I see. And Fable then just reads this, this structure that you parsed, that... The compiler parsed for you. So when you get down to the syntax tree through a type provider call, um, it, what, I get, what I'm getting at is it sounds like it turns into something pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just like read the tree of the, of the provided types, and then you have to, depending mm. on what the type provider does behind the scenes, you just have to erase, compile it to some other JavaScript yeah. thing. Okay. I wow. Just, <laughs> I'm staggered, right? Like, and I've always had the sense that being, F sharp does so much. I've always had a sense that it generates a fair bit of IL, you know, to make, to jump, because deep down, IL is so object oriented to make it behave functionally. You wrote a lot of IL. How much JavaScript does this represent? Because mm. you're talking even looser, man. Like, this yeah. is a hard problem. Well, so, so JavaScript just so you is to it. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Well, you do. <laughs> <laughs> JavaScript is a lot more functional than IL. I guess that's so true. In a way, yeah. it's not that. You get different problems. It's typing issues, right? You get so you get problems with um, like, or usually the the, the big problem with um, variable scoping, right? Mm. Because in F sharp you can have like local Be variable scoping. Because we have variable scoping. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and in JavaScript, well, you just can, the immutability mentality. I mean, heck, with very you know, we're underplaying it when we say scoping, immutability. There's no yeah. immutability in JavaScript. Well, there sort of uh, is, I guess, JavaScript people are also using more immutable data types. They're thinking that way. Yeah. So there is no immutability at the language level. Right. Um, but, but there's a process. I mean, you, you, everything we do in software starts with discipline. And ultimately, we get tooling and, and a platform that will make it where it's automatic. When but I'm you could build immutable code in JavaScript. It's just six disciplines. Yeah, what I'm it's thinking. It's much easier to build immutable JavaScript if you write it in F sharp. Yes. Well, that's it, because here's what I'm thinking. Like you, you have immutability in F sharp, so there's no way F sharp could produce code that would create mutable JavaScript. You're right. You're 100% right. It is way easier to do it in F sharp. Yeah. You now, you can, do, you can do mutation in F sharp, and sometimes, like when you're interoperating with .NET, you need to, or sometimes when you want to tweak some performance of something, right. you, you would do right, that. Right, but 90% of your code is going to be immutable. Yeah, immutable by default is just a good reflex. Yeah, and, yeah. And only intentional breaches to immutability. Exactly. Did I say code was immutable? No, I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. Your, your, your variables. And then you get the same sort of situation with F sharp compiled to JavaScript, where mm. very often you want to interoperate with some JavaScript libraries. Like if you if you go to the Fable website, there's lots of fun demos. Mm. Like there's a, a lots of games that Phil Trelford wrote. Wow. Um, 
He switched from assembler to writing games in F Sharp and Fable. Phil is an amazing guy. Uh, wow. <laughs> and uh, there's also like D3 visualizations. And then you obviously work with the D3 library, um, with, where I think that one is actually pretty immutable. But like when you want to mutate the DOM, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, directly. There lies the problem, right? I mean, you're living in F Sharp. How do you have access to the innate libraries that it, that JavaScript in the browser would normally have? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, so um, there's you can basically write uh, bindings for external libraries. Okay. So you, you, you kind of define the interface of the library. Mm. Right. And um, then you write code against this interface, and when it gets compiled, it actually gets compiled against the actual JavaScript right. library. And, and you're actually... So you're, you're still running this in a browser... In, in the um, end. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you well, with so with Fable, you can you can run it on Node as no, well. Run it on Node, yeah. Um, and what about access to the base class libraries of .NET? I mean, if you're if you call something, oh, here's a perfect example. If you call something like systemio file .open, yeah, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. So for for that, you we sort of have have mappings for some of the base class libraries, the ones that make sense, the ones that make sense. Yeah. Right. And some of the, and probably most of the interesting F Sharp core libraries, like right. lists and uh, pipes and the usual F Sharp mm. stuff. Mm. Um, I think this is, this is kind of linking back to my context research, actually. Right. Because ideally, you would like to be able to write the code against the library and then see can I actually compile this to JavaScript or yeah. do I have to run it on uh, full.net? Do I have to run it on .NET Core? Right. So zooming back to the big picture here, what's great about this is that you can run F-sharp programs and algorithms and whatever you call them on little, you know... Uh, Raspberry Pi. Raspberry, well, yeah. Raspberry Pi runs Windows, yeah, okay? But, but Well, it runs Linux and Mono as well. Yeah, right? but, but, but anything that runs JavaScript, which is everything, right? Yeah. I don't know how JavaScript ended up being the... The, the assembler that everyone implements. Yeah, that's Arduino, right? Yeah. You could run F-sharp programs on an Arduino. Yeah, no kidding. You can even get them to the Windows Store this way. Oh, really? Sometimes easier to just compile it to You're JavaScript. You're really a hacker, aren't you, Tomas? <laughs> you don't fool me. <laughs> so do, do you see the implementation of this? The reason you would do this is to build really maintainable services that we then run typically in Node? Um, I think this is sort of a open question for right. me uh, because there's really good server story for F-Sharp as well. Mm. There's, yeah. a, there's Although, a project honestly, called Suave. Which Suave? Is, yeah. Which is a, a really lightweight web server for F-Sharp, which we is very composable. Mm. Did we do a show around this already? I thought we did one around Suave. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's probably a good topic to yeah. do. It was a good topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was just, yeah, it, it was the, the whole web server, the entire yeah. stack yeah. for uh, working in F-Sharp. My only... And the, I'm not enamored of JavaScript, right? I mean, I've worked in it and so forth. My appreciation for Node comes more from an operations perspective mm, mm, mm. and just that this is configuration as code from the very beginning, right? Yeah. Everything in Node is super declarative. And so yeah. for a guy like me who's trying to maintain systems, the fact that I can do a text compare to, mm. to compare versions yeah. of a service yeah. is really, really powerful. And I think Node does that better than almost anything. 
Hmm. You know, I don't, I, I have not spent any time in Suave to really know, you know, have we got that good of a chain all the way to the operational space to say, can I tell the difference between versions? Do I know how hmm. everything runs? Can I, you know, yeah. automate in, de- deployments and so forth? Like that to me is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and it's, you know, I like the tendencies that come out of F sharp programming in terms of building a lightweight, reliable service. The fact that it could go to node and be, and then have that beautiful deploy mm. and op story is compelling to me. Yeah, no, I think it's very much sort of an open question to right. see what actually, like, what will end up to being the, yeah. the biggest use case. Where would this jump out? Because when you said DOM, when we were talking about the whole DOM approach for F sharp uh, in this transpiling situation, I immediately thought client. Right? Yeah, when I think DOM. I think client, and, and then, I think like functional style right. and React like programming. Mm. That's yeah. something that could be really, really interesting. And because you, you generally don't think about F sharp in the client role. No, right? That's not. It's not sort of. It's. It's. Uh, it's. I can't. It's not that I can't do it. It's just like that's well, not where you naturally go. With unless it. you're writing, you know, client apps that you're going to perform some calculations that you're going to run once. You know, that kind of. Yeah, thing. Yeah, I think a lot. it's more that people don't talk about it enough. But there's actually really excellent F# support in Xamarin. Yeah. yeah, in some ways they've done more more work on the tooling. Than, yeah, they were than supposed to be protecting C# sharp with all that work, and <laughs> they, did, they have done a great job implementing F# sharp. Yeah, no, I think they just realized that for some for some tasks, it's nice to have F# sharp as an option, mm. and even in the client, like you don't even have to have calculations, but as long as you have more ex- sort of complicated logic or. Yeah. Uh, logic in terms of user interaction. Yeah. Right. Like you can, you can write really nice sort of reactive code with the immutability you get from F sharp. Right. There was a talk here at NDC Oslo about doing, doing client side apps with F sharp. Wow. By Frank Kruger. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's like perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about from the Xamarin context, you know, there's something about good mobile UIs that speaks to functional, like just sort of speaks yeah. to their recursiveness that, you know, you're working in a confined space where you want a repetitive metaphor. Like it's more, there's something about mobile UIs that are more functional than what you would expect on a regular desktop machine. Cause you have to be so efficient, right? You're working in a confined space. You, you, you know, the complexity has to, you want it, you're got you're working with a thumb, Right, a, yeah. a, a very constricted interface. There's a lot of asynchronous calls. Yeah, you know, everything that you do with every button, everything you press is asynchronous. And so, yeah, in some ways, F sharp would be a natural for expressing UIs that way. Well, uh, do you really express UIs with code? You usually yeah. do it with uh, markup. But uh, yeah, when it comes to the rendering want. part, when we, when you talk about the interaction and you know, there's yeah, the interaction, what goes behind those button yeah. presses? But if you have sort of very declarative la- language, then the the markup and code kind of become very similar, become yeah. friendlier. Yeah. See, the problem with you, Thomas, is every time I talk to you, I end up having to stare off into space and thinking I, that's for a where while. I am, man. And it doesn't make for a great podcast. Right. Like people <laughs> want us to talk, and I'm like, wow, no, you've changed the way I think about uh, yeah. this now. <laughs> and I have to spend some time thinking. Well, maybe our audience can do some staring. Yeah, as well. they will too. Just have a little pause. Think let's, about what let's is, just, just let's just pause now for one second so we can think about this. <laughs> All right, uh, that's enough. On. All right, that's yeah. <laughs> that was uh, a dumb idea. <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> Our sponsors don't pay us for silence. Yeah, thinking would never make any <laughs> sense at all. Why would we do that? It, um, are we actually generating ES six in the end or ES seven? Uh, so the the way the the Fable project works is that it calls Babel. 
Right. And this is where my JavaScript knowledge is lacking. Because right. F-sharp, Babel, Fable. Fable. Right. Exactly. Got it. But we the, did do a show on Babel. Cool. Then the audience already knows more I than so. I do. But Babel can produce any sort of JavaScript right. you want. Yeah. And Fable just... Like Fable just uh, translates the F sharp code into this JSON that you pass into Babel, and Babel is actually the the bit that's responsible for producing the JavaScript. So it can generate all sorts of versions of right, JavaScript. Right, so you, it'll spit a, out an ES five implementation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it there can, a you C, can choose? Is there a C sharp uh, adapter for Babel as well? I don't know. But Sable doesn't sound that good. Sable, so. how about Cable? Cable better. Yeah. <laughs> well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? I must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to announce my new functional pop star persona. Oh. Carlos Suave. <laughs> <laughs> How very functional of you. I could go the other way and say, now I have functional scars. Or is it immutable scars? I have immutable, <laughs> immutable scars. <laughs> Them scars ain't never coming off. Nope. They're never changing. They're uh, there forever. Well, it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, have you ever used a product that was so bad you wondered whether the people who created it had ever used it themselves? <laughs> Well, Telerik's been building the best UI controls in the world for over a decade now, but more importantly, they've been using them in their own projects. That means they know what it takes to build real-world apps, and Telerik knows what makes developers want to pull their hair out, having shed a lot of their own. <laughs> no more silly Northwind demos. Get real UI for real applications. Download Telerik DevCraft today and enjoy the most complete set of user interface components for .NET desktop, mobile, and web development. Try it today at Telerik.com slash devcraft. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Siddharth K. Pandy. Oh, congratulations, Siddharth. Golf clap for you, sir. A little bit of the clappers for you. The clappers for you. And uh, Siddharth just won the Telerik DevCraft collection, a big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, Answer a few questions and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, Tomas. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? $5,000 on technology. Mm -hmm. I'd probably start by getting some more books. <laughs> That's not technology, <laughs> awesome. is it? What a great Some of them tend to be quite expensive, though. I buy, a lot myself, of books. I buy myself a library. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Or a big <laughs> oak book Currently, they're in, a in, a, in paper boxes. I mean, tech yeah. books are, you know, 50 bucks a shot. So yeah. you're talking 100 books, man. You're going to get buried. Yeah. Well, the, the academic books, some of them tend to yeah, be quite they can expensive. Be. But, you know, I've got a couple of daughters in college, and yeah few $200 textbooks they use for three months. And what's great about the textbooks is when you're done with them, you can heat your house with them. So yes. they're okay. Well, yeah. I don't know. That's uh Yeah, you know the difference between Algebra 101 and 201? <laughs> 201 burns longer. Long that's it. <laughs> <laughs> really just books? Um, I don't know. I'll, on the technology side... I don't know. Maybe more clusters in my uh, in my data center. More clusters. More clusters. Because you already have some clusters. Well, I've got the MVP Azure 
thing, right? Which is like barely good enough to run all my fun projects, right? It's what one hundred and fifty dollars a year, yeah, a month kind a of month. thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. For five grand, could substantially up that. Yeah, I'll just buy compute with it. Stick like it in. you don't, you don't need to buy real technology these days no, anymore. It's, it's just more uh, compute. All in someone else's uh, mm. data center. Wow, so four hundred and twenty-five dollars a month additional Azure time. That could be fun. You could get in a lot of trouble with that. So, Tomas, um, we talked about all of the challenges, you know, that you said we could fill up an hour with the challenges of doing this kind of stuff. And and if you haven't picked up on it already, listeners, Tomas is actually contributing to this project, right? Well, I've helped them in a couple of ways. Right. But I haven't written any substantial amount of code. Okay. Um, I've been involved with like F sharp to JavaScript for yeah. for a fairly long time, right? And it was actually trying to compile F sharp to JavaScript was was how I learned F sharp. Wow! Wow! Um, Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, so so in the first versions of F sharp, they had or it's still there, right? Um, there's the quotations mechanism, mm -hmm. which is basically like link expression trees, but it can mm. take the whole program. Wow! And so it was reasonably easy to get the, the tree of the code you wrote. Nice. Okay. Um, plus, doing this sort of tree transformations is just mm. pattern matching. So even yeah. though it sounds very complicated, it's probably the easiest thing you can do in a F-sharp-like sure. function. Wow. You're always. just basically thinking through how each of those expressions resolves yeah. itself on the other side mm. of the tree. Mm. Yeah, you just write match and then... Case, 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 until right. the compiler stops complaining that you're <laughs> missing one. And then you go to the next program. I mean, and the challenge is just can you cover the whole surface area? You, you make it sound so cut and paste, but Tomas, <laughs> that's brilliant. Come on now. That's really great. Elegant. It's what the language guides you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No kidding. That's really interesting. So where do we where do we run into the biggest problems when when trying to get F sharp to JavaScript? Yeah, so I think there's sort of um, one thing that nobody really figured out quite well how to do is this problem that you just have very different runtime systems. Sure, yeah. Like, with .NET, you're assuming that some things work in some ways. Like, your float arithmetic mm -hmm. works, your integer arithmetic load mm -hmm. works, exceptions behave in uh, certain ways. When you go to JavaScript and you co compile, like, int division, right? that doesn't work in JavaScript. Yeah. So... Do you sort of emulate the whole .NET runtime and build... To write down to creating new types? Hmm. Yeah, like, like right down to writing your own float arithmetic. Yes. Because right. that's different in JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. Or do you sort of say, well, we want to compile to JavaScript, but at the same time, it's okay if the program gets some of the JavaScript behavior. Right. Because it's JavaScript, after all. Yeah. yeah. If you want to be in JavaScript, JavaScript, you expect a JavaScript behavior. Mm. But you sort of want the s nice subset of F-sharp to work the same, and then on the boundaries, if you're calling some ugly JavaScript library, it can behave Right. You really way. want the same output from a, from a function in JavaScript that you got in F-sharp. Yeah. That's yeah. what it comes down to. You don't want values to be different. Yeah. And... So in F sharp, I think there's a fairly sort of people are used to this idea that if you stay within the the nice core F sharp language, mm -hmm. it works. 
Mm. And as long as you, as soon as you start interoperating with .NET, you might get actually even the null reference exception. Right. Mm -hmm. That uh, Uncle Frank, yeah. Uncle Frank Uncle said Fred, you never yeah. get. Uncle Fred doesn't want null references. No. Yeah. Well, then who does? Who does? <laughs> yeah, really. .NET has them and yes. JavaScript has them. So yes. when you interoperate with these worlds, you have to deal with that reality. You have to deal with the yeah. reality. Yeah. And so I think what Fable is doing really well is that it sort of takes this core that should work and then builds the nice JavaScript intro player. Right. Which even gets you some of the sort of dynamic language functionality. Mm -hmm. So in FSARP, there's the question mark operator. Yeah. And you can say object question mark foo rather than saying object dot foo. Right. And then the, the foo isn't type checked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you, you can get, use you this. A dynamic effect. You can use this to interoperate with dynamic libraries. Mm hmm so I'm reading some of the features here. Tuples get converted to native arrays. That's nice. You would expect that. Uh, unions are uh, compiled as classes. The case name held in a case property. That's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm looking through this. What are some of the more interesting uh, transitions that you see here? Like async. Okay, there you go. There's one. How do we do that? I actually don't know what Fable does with async. What does the document <laughs> I'll read it. I'll read say? it. It says, yeah. async computation expressions work as expected. However, run synchronously is not available. And as JavaScript is single-threaded, start and start immediate will have the same effect. Likewise, async.parallel won't spawn background threads on its own. When opening Fable.core, you'll have access to async.awaitpromise and async.startasPromise extension for easy interaction with JavaScript promises. So what they're saying is rewrite your F-sharp to use a, a sync.await promise. Well, so um, I guess the, the key idea here is that you don't have to get into this callback hell with async. Right. Yeah, right. And, and when I think a, async in JavaScript, I think JavaScript promises. I mean, yeah. that's what yeah. that was supposed to be the way we go, although obviously this conversation is happening in the ES7 space right. about yeah. a more async-like syntax. Yeah, I don't... I never... I think the promises aren't really solving the problem. I'm mm. not going to disagree with you. Because the problem is, or they are partly as a sort of, just like task in .NET, yeah. Yeah. is an important piece in the ecosystem. Yep. But before async await in C Sharp, when you worked with tasks, you always had to do this like continue with. Yeah, that, yeah and there, yeah. Was a, there was a housekeeping element to it. And it that takes care of feeding. And the, the problem with this is that you lose all your language features. Yeah, like right. you can't, have you ever tried writing a loop that has an asynchronous thing? Mm -hmm. in don't do that. That's a mistake. <laughs> well, unless, you, unless you have a data source where you actually need to do right. it. Right. Yeah. And with a async await in C sharp, um, you can now write loops that include async await. And mm -hmm. you can uh, write, exception handling, which is kind of important. Yeah. Mm. And so the F-sharp async workflows do the same. Um, and so the, the, way the, the way Fable compiles it is that um, in F-sharp, it's sort of translated to some function calls that take some functions as arguments. So it does this like syntactic sugar mm -hmm. transformation. Mm. And Fable basically takes the same thing. So... I think when Fable gets the code from F-sharp, it's already translated. Right. Yeah. And so it just actually ends up producing function calls. Okay. And um, the, the Fable runtime lets you use this because it provides mapping for some of the basic constructs. Mm. But 
then you can write asynchronous code, things like loops and exception handlings, right. mm. without actually having to use explicit callbacks. So right. you can say, right. let bank something equals evade promise, and then you basically have like a callback, but it's still in sequential but it's code. In sequence, yeah. And ECMA 7 is supposed to have async await, isn't it? Yeah. So that'll make everything a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, then that's I Babel's suppose, magic now is being able to look at that and go, oh, I'm allowed to run an ES7, then I'll write it this way, mm. as opposed to, oh, I have to run an ES5, I'll do it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think currently Babel will just produce, uh, Fable will just produce like fairly ugly JavaScript with lots of calls. Right. Because there's no JavaScript equivalent for asyncs. Yes. Um, but when, when, uh, ES7 has this. Yeah. Then That'll be a happy Fable day. can actually. Yeah, I don't produce. know if anybody's implemented it yet. I mean, yeah. spec'd out in ES7, but who knows if there's a browser running it? I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, generics. Generic information disappears in generated code. However, it's accessible to the compiler, so calls like type of bracket my type are possible with concrete types or with generics in inline functions. So I guess what that means is go ahead and use generics, but don't expect them in the output. Um, yeah, so this is, this is one thing that's hard in JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And yeah, one of the no earlier, there's, there was an earlier F sharp to JavaScript project where they basically did like the C++ template style. Oh so my. whenever you used a generic, it would generate specialized code for the instantiation. Yeah. And that means it sort of preserves fully the, the, the meaning of the program. Right. But it generates lots of JavaScript. Well, and this is always a challenge with transpiling, right? Is you, you take a core concept from one language and you basically have to implement it on the fly in the other language. Yeah. And it's slow. The real question is, what would generics buy you in JavaScript? Like, why do you care? Well, it's more that, like, you have them in F-sharp. Right. And so you need to somehow... They've got to map to something. They have to map to something. And do you... If you want them to map like something which has exactly the same meaning, mm. then you end up producing lots of crap. Right. Um, You've got to make this judgment call of there are elements of this that aren't going to matter to you. I'm not going to break your code, but it may not quite do what you expect. Yeah. So I think that the thing that sort of Fable will not be able to deal with is if you have like function that takes a generic parameter T mm -hmm. and then you do type of T because when it compiles the function, the method, yeah. it will just produce like one instantiation of yeah. it yeah and it will just call it dynamically because in javascript that's a fairly sensible way yeah. of doing it sure right and the the um like v8 will do some magic to make it run fast <laughs> um mm. with a bit of luck yeah um but the the type of t will will just give you like an object or something because sure. you can't really do that in the erased code Fair. So that's the that's the bit where I think losing some of the like F sharp semantics is actually worth yeah it's worth sacrificing that little well because the argument because is I, I can make it run in JavaScript just slowly and huge and, yeah and and not necessarily benefiting you in any meaningful way yeah so that brings us to performance I mean we've sort of been dancing around performance what can you expect in terms of performance of your F sharp code versus JavaScript I know it's a it depends, of course, but what kinds of things are going to, what other kinds of things are going to slow down your app? Um, I actually, that's, that's a fun, fun problem yeah. to do some like perf comparison because 
the, the JavaScript runtimes, they're surprisingly optimized. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing Fable is doing is that it's trying to, to emit JavaScript with typed arrays. Mm. Um, so that's like a JavaScript thing where you can say type of the array mm -hmm. and, um, and that will run faster because it knows the type of the array. Sure, yeah. Um, so I haven't really run yeah. any performance comparison. But nobody's complained about Nobody's complaining. Yeah. So I've actually written um, in my in my thesis the prototype implementation of the language. Okay. I've written it in F sharp, of course. Of course. But um, I made it available as a web-based thing. So I've hmm. used one of the earlier projects to compile uh, my F sharp language implementation to JavaScript, and. It's like a, it takes little source code, parses it, type checks it, mm. and then uh, it lets you do run it and do some more other fun things with it. Mm. Um, and it produces something like fifty thousand lines of horrible JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> with like, JavaScript, you wouldn't take home to mother. Well, maybe if uh, <laughs> depends on your relationship with your mother. <laughs> But there's like <laughs> 10 underscores. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That was pretty funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> hey, mom. <laughs> Meet JavaScript. Boom. <laughs> I'm going to go. You two enjoy <laughs> each other. Uh, Bye-bye. <laughs> 10 underscores. Well, more like if you can actually scroll through it. And no, of it course, looks you can like see a, all the code. And it looks like a movie because it's all like the underscores getting bigger and then smaller again. <laughs> We can we can share a link with uh, with the audience. It's a horrible, they horrible can, uh, JavaScript. They can send it to their moms. Because you know, the <laughs> horror movie is what it's like. Because yeah. right on the Fable page is this JavaScript you can be proud of. Right. Yeah, and that's that's because Fable isn't trying to like generate lots of crazy code sure, for generics. Right. Yeah. yeah so to keep I bet that. if I if I run my my uh, lang my my compiler my type checker through Fable, it would actually generate code that's not that bad right and you can you can have a look at some of the samples that that fable has on the yeah, website sure. and it actually doesn't look doesn't look bad do you do you think in terms of parallels between this and typescript um i think typescript sort of trying to do a bit of different thing yeah uh there's definitely some relationship like mm -hmm. one one way to get the library bindings for fable is actually there's um, like a parser for TypeScript bindings, right? So we can import all the hard work they've done on yeah. the on the bindings, right. and I think TypeScript is sort of if you just want to do if you if you want to do better JavaScript, yeah. Well, and, and highly maintainable JavaScript. Mm. I mean, there's a reason yeah. the Angular team's using this stuff. It's like you have a lot of contributors from a lot of different sources, yeah. and you're you're trying to build highly reliable code. Yeah, and all of that static type checking we can get yeah. up front just takes a bunch of problems away. Yeah, I think it's like C sharp seven for JavaScript. Yeah. Well, Anders needed a hobby, clearly. <laughs> but but with with F sharp to JavaScript, you you get the sort of core functional ideas. Mm -hmm. Which even even in C sharp in the V next or uh, whatever yeah. V next next it is yeah, where yes. they where they'll add pattern matching, it's still like primarily object oriented. Yes, with yeah. some functional features. Yeah, and it doesn't always lead you in the in the in the nice composable yeah the happy correct path way. of pattern yeah, matching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. W what are you gonna do to my lambdas in F sharp? 
Ah, well, they'll just become function. Yeah. Curly brackets. They'll turn into functions. Yeah, so that's where you don't need to do the crazy thing you do when you compile F sharp to IL. Yeah. Right. Or you have to generate classes for them. Yeah. Uh, it says here, if you want to pass a callback with more than one argument to JavaScript code, please wrap it in a delegate first. Yeah. Yeah, there's, so F sharp uses, the, like F sharp functions use the, the currying thing, which is yeah, like, yeah, what a, is currying? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a, it's just a keyword we use to make, uh, make us look smarter. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but it's, it's basically when you write a function that takes two arguments, mm -hmm. you can see it as a function that takes the first argument and then returns another function that takes the second argument. Oh, yeah. And then returns the result. I see. Which is nice in F sharp because you can do things like the, the pipes. They are all composable because mm. you can call, uh, like list.map, give it the, the function that specifies how you want to map. Right. But then you get back a function that takes a list and returns yeah. list. Right. And then you can compose them with pipes. So it's something that's very sort of core F sharp idea. Right. And if you compiled that to JavaScript, you'd have like function brackets, function brackets, function yeah, brackets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you'd we would be bracket yourself we would be, to craziness. Yeah, we'd be back to uh, producing dangerous JavaScript <laughs> for the other mom. Bad JavaScript. Bad. bad. Yeah. Bad. Evil JavaScript. Uh, what about testing? Um, so there's actually one nice thing that they've done in Fable which is that uh, you can write, I think, n-unit tests. Okay, really? And it, the, the Fable sort of compiler is extensible. So you can write like plugins that recognize specific bits of code. Right, specific and there's libraries. And there's a plugin that recognizes n-unit and compiles that to some JavaScript, I think, Mocha. Mocha, or, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. So you actually can write like F-sharp tests and... Hmm. And it makes it a JavaScript test. Idiomatic. Which is pretty cool. So here's something. Um, it seems that there are a few rules or, or things that you should do to your F-sharp before running it through Fable. Is there any kind of preprocessor that can fix up your source code before it runs through Fable or any way that Fable could do that for you? Yeah, so um, there isn't like a separate tool Um it would be a fun project for Wouldn't someone. Wouldn't it? Who yeah. <laughs> for someone who might be getting their PhD in uh, these oh, kinds. No, of, no, no not so much. For but you, you remember when they were doing? It used to make the VB to VB.net converter. Yeah, and, that's right. And it would draw. You know, we convert what it could convert, but it would drop those blocks of comments going. Yep. All right, there's some evil here. Right. You know, here's a reference to documentation about this problem. Like right. just that idea mm -hmm. that a pre-compiler could go through and go. We could might you might you might want to tweak this like and or here, just you tweak know. it for me, right? Yeah. You know, just. If yeah. it can, if it can wrap a, a a lambda and a delegate, for example, it can probably do that. Right. You know. Yeah, it could emit some warnings where it yeah. thinks your code isn't as yeah. JavaScript friendly. As and I'm going to make a shot at fixing it for you, but you really should look at this and make sure it's yeah. doing what it's supposed yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. But it often, you know, when we if it was easy, you would have mapped it. So this, right. there's some decision making to be yeah. done there. Yeah. But just to help a developer know. We're going to have a good time converting your app. Or right. look at this, this, and this, and then we'll have a good time converting. Yeah. Right. Mm. But it's not really like converting, I guess. No, yeah, it's sure. more that... Transpiling. 
Yeah. So making suggestions for you to modify your code so that yeah, the Fable yeah, like it better. Yeah, yeah. 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 have better success. Make some JavaScript that I, you I'm would sure be proud a, of. I'm sure there's a German word for it, right? Yes. What, got, a German word for making your F-sharp source code more compatible so that Fable would like it better. There's probably one word in yes, German. Yes, with, with 19 syllables. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You'll need to get some more uh, F-sharpers from Germany on the yes. show. And yeah. They can tell you. They'll know what that word is. Although, how, how long is the show? It's one hour? It's one hour. Yeah, yeah you hour. can't fit that many words. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Probably not. So, what's next for you, Tomas? Um, yeah, so hopefully the, the PhD will <laughs> the be PhD. over soon. Yeah, next time you're on. Hopefully um, not three years from now, but <laughs> yeah. soon. I've been, I've been actually working on one project which is uh, partly inspired by some of the some of the work in the F-sharp space with type providers. So one thing you get with type providers is this really super easy access to external data sources. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, as when you're when you're a PhD student, you spend a lot of time like doing random things that you shouldn't be doing, like <laughs> reading the news. <laughs> and there's there's one interesting trend, which is the digital journalism or. Yeah. Uh, data-driven journalism, where yeah. journalists are actually trying to write articles that are based on public open data. Yeah. Um, and um, I sort of really like this because it makes, like, when you write an article that's based on data, you can't say total nonsense. Right, right. that's right. Um, and I, I, I was sort of curious if you could do something like type providers for journalists or for people who... Um, they they need to write a little bit of code mm -hmm. right to like process the data it's not very complicated it's more like pick this data point from somewhere mm -hmm. and currently they just do it by like copy pasting stuff into excel right uh, then like some of you running like one perl script one python script i've got it teach the journalists how to use r well, that's going to be even worse yeah that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's no, some of some of the some of the advanced advanced ones actually use R yeah. but still like you don't get something you as a as a reader could easily reproduce sure. and so I, I really like the idea of sort of taking the type provider mm -mm. ease of use yeah. and putting it into something that's running in the web mm. uh, where you can see how exactly they, they got the data what they did to it yeah. And maybe change it. Like, I'm from, I'm from Czech Republic. And for some reason, whenever uh, the Guardian writes a comparison, it's like Germany, UK, US, Canada, France. Yeah, right. yeah. And Czech Republic isn't there. Right. So right. I want to be able to modify the article and edit there. Ah, very good. <laughs> and, um, that, like, you can't do it if, if, do it, writing the article involves lots of manual copy paste yeah. and like running some ad hoc scripts that work on someone's machine somewhere in BBC or. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced. Tomas is crazy. <laughs> I'm convinced. <laughs> I this idea of just adding an aspect is like whenever you bring me data about a topic area, I want you to include Czech Republic. Right, like you always sort of have this mindset of I, I want a dynamic view to yeah. each of these articles. Yeah, I think right. you know, in a way, like I want to see articles that work with data more as programs than right. as mm. text. Well, and and plus it's verifiable, right? They're yeah, you're going back to the open data source. Yeah, and, you know, we're talking you know employment figures. Here it is. Yeah, awesome. You know, I, I, doing the Geek Out shows, I mean, the biggest piece of my research is validating the papers I'm yeah, reading. I know. Right? Yeah. Like, is this junk? It's hard. 
New, this yeah. is junk science. This yeah. is based on real numbers. And typically, you go from a blog post that's very popular with Google or Bing to uh, a source article that came out that cites a uh, uh, cites an another source paper. that cites a paper that cites a study, and you yeah. finally get back to the study, and then which the study, says very different which says thing, very and, different and, things. And, or the study's junk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's based on it yeah. contradicts itself, and yeah, somebody yeah, just yeah. cherry picked the data they wanted out of it to yeah. support a case, or or it was funded by somebody with a complete vested interest in the outcome, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what research is all about. Yeah. So, but I'm with you. I like if we could start doing more articles where the source data was inherently yeah. linked and then dynamically manipulable too, that we could pull mm, yeah. and push elements as mm. needed. I think if, if sort of as a as a reader, you come to an article and you see I can't reproduce it, then you don't believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, what if that, that was just a be... natural behavior? Every every one of these analyses comes with a reproduce button. Yeah. Mm. And, and yeah. just fetches the data again. Yeah. And Love it can it. also like automatically generate data citations yeah because you know the code like you can find what it's connecting to yep mm -hmm. and you can say this is the data well and do multi-year comparisons like here's an article for 2013 talking about this trend now let's map it to the data for yeah. 14 15 and 16 yeah that would be so wonderful that'd be really kind of awesome it would make your job easier big pile awesome yeah. <laughs> well i i you know I don't mind that people count on me to sort all that stuff out when we make those shows. Fun for you. Yeah, it's, it's my own weird disease. But <laughs> to make it easy for everyone and for everyone to start thinking in those terms. Yes. Like, let's validate that data right. before, yeah. we, before we consume it, right? It's like, this is yeah. the idea of good information diet. You can't eat yeah. the box of cookies and then try and read the label. You know, the, the biggest example of this uh, faux pas in society is people who just post things on Facebook and repost them that are complete yeah. bogus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anything that's actually on Snopes going, nope. Yeah, and exactly. And you still post it. It's like, that's, you don't have to argue with it anymore. You just send the Snopes if, article. If, they are, if the story makes you go, whoa. All right, check Snopes. it out on Snopes first. <laughs> yeah. Tomas, thank you for joining us for this hour. It's been wonderful. Super fun, man. That's really cool. It was a pleasure. Yeah, you bet. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a